What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 44 Formula One podcast with the Australian GP recap. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com with my man, Dan Weiner, back in the co-pilot seat today, senior producer at Betsperts. Dan, what's up, bud? Oh, not a whole lot. I think both of us were talking about how we were tired. It was a busy but kind of awesome weekend and uh, dragging a little on a Monday, but we got some Formula One to recap and I'm pretty pumped. Yeah, man, it was a uh, very interesting race. Um, obviously, uh, we will get into everything before we get into the recap. Want to remind everybody that 444 is teaming up with Run the Sims for their projection tools and content for both F1 and usfl dfs and betting so go over to run the sims.com use promo code 444 for 10 percent off usfl and f1 offerings see the link in the description or go to run the sims.com if you want to get a uh, preview of what we are going to be offering with run the sims go check out our australia gp preview show we had justin freeman the founder of run the sims on the show and uh showed some of the awesome stuff that they are uh offering to help us with our lineups but uh let's get into the recap dan run us through um what you saw what stood out um what uh what, what disappointed you what you liked well the race was either extremely interesting or extremely boring depending on your perspective if you are charles leclerc uh i'm sure it was maybe a little bit boring but in a good way uh charles leclerc becomes the 26th driver in f1 history to win the grand slam the first for Ferrari since Fernando Alonso in 2010. The Grand Slam is uh, P1 in qualifying, the fastest lap of the race, and then winning the race by leading every single lap. He dominated the weekend. However, it wasn't smooth sailing for his teammate Carlos Sainz, who had a bit of misfortune, just bad luck, I would say, in qualifying, starting ninth. Uh, he had an issue with his wheel. They switched out his wheel before the race. His car went into anti-stall on the first lap, so he fell to 14th and then got overly aggressive on the second lap trying to make a pass. Ended up spinning out, and his day ended just two laps in. On lap 24, Sebastian Vettel, who was making his debut this year, missed the first couple of races because he had COVID, had just an absolutely brutal weekend, couldn't keep the car on the track, and then couldn't do so in the race. Uh, he wrecked on lap 24, and that basically created the only real drama in the race. Off that restart, Max Verstappen made his move on Charles Leclerc but was unable to pass him, and that was basically it at the top of the grid. And then the big thing of the day, the big thing of the weekend on the 39th lap, for the second time in three weeks, the defending champion Max Verstappen, his car just completely spit the bit caught on fire they're still trying to figure out what exactly went wrong for him but he finished out of the race and then the most interesting thing to me at the end of this race the thing i'm just completely fascinated by was the strategy employed by williams and alex albon uh, if you're not familiar with the rules of formula one you have to use two different compound tires during the race you can't just go the entire race on one tire however alex albon went the first 57 of 58 laps on the hard compound tire was all the way up in seventh place took his mandatory pit stop and held on to finish 10th to get the first points of the season for Williams so there you can see the finishing positions for this race Charles Leclerc finishing first Sergio Perez finishing second and George Russell who believe it or not if is the is in second place right now in the driver's standings behind Charles Leclerc uh, a third and fourth for Mercedes, who have proven to be slow compared to Red Bull and Ferrari, but reliable as Russell and Hamilton uh, have finished every lap of each race so far. The only team to have both drivers finish every lap of every race this season. You see a couple of big improvements there from Albon and Lance Stroll going uh, finishing seventh. Albon, by the way, started in last place because he didn't have enough fuel in his car for a post-qualifying inspection. Uh, goes all the way up to uh, 10 places. Then you see at the bottom of the grid, some big time fallers, Carlos Sainz falling 11 spots, Max Verstappen 16 and Fernando Alonso, a guy I think we were all kind of high on this week. We thought the car was fast, but for whatever reason, just could not get things into gear for this race. As you see him finishing down there in 17th place An interesting race, uh, maybe not the most exciting race from a racing perspective, because 
there really wasn't a ton to sink your teeth into. Leclerc was way ahead of Perez. Perez was way ahead of everyone else. I think there was a joke on uh, Perez's radio about like taking a nap or something during his, he told his crew if they were taking an ask him if they were taking a nap because <laughs> yeah. he couldn't catch Leclerc and, and Russell and Hamilton weren't anywhere near him. Uh, one other thing that I'm just as I'm looking at this, I forgot to mention. Uh, Hello, McLaren. Welcome to the 2022 season. <laughs> yep. As both Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo had good performances in qualifying, and even though Lando Norris fell a spot from where he qualified, a fifth and a sixth place for McLaren to uh, finish with both drivers in the points for the first time this season. I think they will take that pretty much every week of the season as they try to chase down Mercedes. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, maybe not the most exciting race, but there's a lot of interesting things. And I think as you look at the landscape for DFS going forward, I think there's certainly some things to dig into there. Yeah, I think the um, the, the gripe for for new fans or, or casual fans with Formula One is that it is so top heavy. And, and we've seen this with with Lewis Hamilton for for seven straight years that um, when we have that car or driver that gets way out ahead, um, there's almost no battling for first place, even though we we have seen battles for first place, um, you know, the the first two races. And, and I, I think and hope that um, this race in Australia will be the exception and not the norm. But the hardcore F1 fan would say that a lot of the action comes from that midfield. And, and we did see that in that th- that race a bit. Um, we saw um, Mercedes and McLaren battling a little bit. We saw Checo had some really good battles with both um, Lewis and Russell. Uh, kind of halfway through the race before he separated so if you had a sweat with dfs that was really fun um and and yeah as you mentioned getting uh mclaren back into the thick of things was really exciting um it's i don't know if if mercedes is ever going to find the pace to consistently compete for a first place at this point just with ferrari looking so good but um i think they're going to be battling for quite a few podiums i I think the the rainbow podium is is going to be something we're going to be seeing a lot more than uh maybe we we might have expected or maybe we did expect if if we go back thinking mercedes is going to be good so that will be exciting um we talked about so much leading up to the second race and, and and this race that we were only two races in like there still is a lot that we don't know um and we saw that you know mclaren back in the mix haas losing a ton of pace um that that's a a note that that we're gonna have to pay attention to it was that expected you know with with teams that have more money able to do more development than they are after they got to a hot start uh so you know still three races in i I think we probably still want another two or three races before we can really be confident in what this midfield looks like um as far as as the <clears throat> notes that you mentioned what well, one thing that I, I think we we talked about before the season started is we don't get a ton of news in f1 um leading up to the race for the most part after qualifying if there isn't an incident with a car if we're not waiting to see if they're going to to get a um something fixed on on, on a car that crashed usually not not a lot of news we did they they did briefly mention in uh the pregame show like maybe five minutes before the formation lap they were doing something to max's car is that enough time to fix lineups in dfs like maybe you can throw a couple in if you're single entering mate like are you going to get off max um if you had him in your captain or driver if you only have one lineup probably not um if you're playing 20 to 150 lineups um maybe you can quickly you know uh if we don't have lineup generators yet. Um, we're hoping to get one at RTS, but if you could, if you could tweak maybe five of your lineups quickly, maybe you do that. Um, but, but I do think when we, when we see something like that on the grid, um, it, it should be enough to move the needle for us, regardless of, of the situation. Um, the, the time is always going to be an issue when it comes that late on the grid. But sometimes, I mean, we had signs two weeks ago. We saw him in the garage an, an hour before uh, it, it went off. So I, I think those little garage notes are, are going to be something interesting leading up to races. And then the Albon thing, um, there was no way to to um, <clears throat> predict that. Uh, uh, we Are the Race had a really good article about that situation. Basically, when they were thinking about pitting i i think i don't remember if there was a red flag but i, I think it was a safety or car or something that basically gave them the opportunity to uh go with that strategy so it wasn't something we could have predicted it was a, it was an in-race decision but but still exciting nonetheless yeah i mean i think there were you had the safety car for the two 
or for there were were at least three because you had three drivers basically not finish the race and there might have been another one pop out at some point very briefly there and that certainly was going to affect things yeah i mean with with verstappen it's tough because like you want to kind of adjust if you hear some of these things okay maybe they're working on something but at the same time like it's always going to feel super risky to be like okay well maybe i can make some adjustments and maybe i'll have a little bit more Leclerc, or maybe I will have a little bit more, you know, of my, my backup, my backup kind of chaos lineup. And we'll kind of get into like the conversation we were having off air about maybe the, the chaos lineup isn't quite as extreme as you think it is. And there might be a path to how you should be going about your contingency plan for if things go crazy, because I think this race was about as realistic as you can expect to see, see unusual things happen without like a big weather uh, issue or something like that where it's clear the red bull and, and ferrari cars are, are at least when they're on the track faster than everyone else by a good bit but two of those four drivers don't finish the race and then suddenly now you're looking at okay what can happen with your lineup construction obviously if you were heavy on verstappen uh you did not do well uh guilty that was me <laughs> yeah uh, it's, I also, it's hard not to be yeah i also kind of bought into the carlos signs fernando alonso both had good cars and were unlucky in qualifying and there was a scenario where both of those drivers could potentially climb up into the top five. And if, you know, if Alonzo, I, I thought best case scenario for those guys was each going up five spots, signs into fourth, Alonzo into fifth. And at a certain point, there was a lineup construction that you could have where putting those guys in might be a little bit better than being, than having, like uh, Leclerc or Verstappen, whoever finishes second, I guess, in the race, uh, as unlikely as that may be, I definitely played that as one of my lineups, just as kind of contrarian look in that, obviously, uh, that got me absolutely nowhere. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think with the the pre-race stuff, I didn't even know that until after the race, Carlos Sainz had his his wheel swapped out. Important note for those of you, if these races are on at one in the morning and there's a UFC card on uh, somewhere leading into it, uh, maybe play, pay a little bit more uh, close attention to the F1 pregame show than I was because I was watching uh, I was watching the uh, the UFC card and I had the pregame on my computer, but I wasn't really paying attention to it because it was like getting close to the main event. So, yeah, I mean, it's always doing your due diligence. Like you can obviously very clearly see Yuki Tsunoda not being able to start his car, as was the case in Saudi Arabia. But some of that other stuff might fly a little bit more under the radar in the chaos of you know, all of the, all of the stuff going on on the grid. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. It's, it's we, we've learned that there's, it, it, there's, you got to do more diligence before the race than we thought you were going to have to. Um, but you probably still don't have to, if the race is like a 9am race, my time, I don't think I've got to be up at like 5am checking yeah. news and notes the way you might with the NFL, but you still have to kind of keep an eye on what's happening. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think you probably want to, check Twitter and maybe click, click the, um, TV on, um, should we be saying the telly now since we're, we're playing a European, uh, uh, maybe 30 minutes before the race. Um, but you also have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, we, we saw, we also saw Alonzo had an issue with his computer system and his car starting. And they were saying that that is an issue that could easily pop up during the race. And then it didn't. So, uh, you know, like it, 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 maybe it's like a coin flip. If you are going to, um, to adjust again, I, I think if you're playing one to three lineups and it is a, a Verstappen or, or a Leclerc that's having an issue, you probably can't really change anything. Um, if you're if you're playing 20 to 150 lineups again, you know, maybe you change change 5% of your lineups really quickly. Um, but as we're talking about what we can do, let's just jump into the DFS recap. And for the first time this year, we had a solo unique winner um great uh great username um pop uh pimple popper md shout out home, to pimple popper md shout out lineup yeah 14 lineups um or their 14th lineup yeah came in first for 50k uh the interesting aspects to this lineup obviously were um not obviously but if, if you look at it closely 1500 dollars left on the table that's something we haven't seen a ton <clears throat> or uh from these top lineups we've seen 
you know, the, the lineups using most of the salary at the top uh, for the first couple of races. Um, no captain and constructor stack. That's something that we will definitely get into when we get into uh, stacks that did and didn't work. But we were talking uh, leading up to the last two races that it, it looked like if you were paying really close attention to uh, how points were being played out, that if there was any shakeup up top that you were having a lineup that didn't stack captain and constructor was going to be enough to win. And we saw that with Mercedes and, and we'll definitely get into uh, that, that Mercedes um, constructor choice um, in a little bit. And then the cumulative ownership, only 144% cumulative ownership. If you um, count Leclerc's ownership as captain instead of his overall 73% ownership. So pretty low cumulative ownership there. Um, you know, just a, a very unique lineup again, leaving that $1,500 on the table. Uh, if you're going to be building lineups, this is what we're shooting for. We're not shooting for, uh, you know, it's nice to top chop it 50 ways and, and get two grand, but we're playing for this 50 K. If you're playing the big tournament, if really, if you're playing any tournament, you're playing to um, you're playing to not chop first place. Uh, so thinking through these lineups and not just looking at what won the first two weeks is really how you um, separate yourself. Yeah, I'm genuinely curious. I mean, I, I didn't see I, I didn't play in the big league this week again because I was too confused by what was going on. So I, I don't I can't really look into it. I wonder how many lineups our friend uh, Pimple Popper MD played. I'm just going to try to say that name as many times as I can during the show today. Uh, how many lineups this person played? Because it certainly feels like, OK, Leclerc, I'm, I'm sure they probably had one that was Verstappen instead of Leclerc as the captain with this lineup. I, I, I will say to some degree, I think you can kind of think this kind of maybe there's some clarity that can be provided when even though Carlos Sainz has been fast all year, when he starts ninth and given the history of this track and how hard historically it has been to overtake on this track, even though they've made the changes this year, that maybe it's easier in your mind just to say, well, if I have to choose between like a Sergio Perez or a Carlos Sainz, when we're talking similarly priced drivers, that Sergio Perez seemed like, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a more like I would say traditional kind of lineup, then I would probably you would have to just assume that Sergio Perez is going to finish better than Carlos Sainz and Carlos Sainz is going to have to basically reach his maximum potential in this race to outpoint Sergio Perez. Uh, we, we brought it up in our actually our group chat yesterday. George Russell has been the MVP of DFS so far because two weeks in or, or two of the three races this season, he has been in the, the winning lineup uh, largely because he like we said, he's been reliable. He's able to stay on the track. And that's a huge thing. I was really also kind of hoping with Albon and I asked and you, you shut, shut this down for me. I, I really kind of hoped that uh, Albon finishing 10th instead of 11th sw would have swung this in, in pimple popper MD's favor, because obviously like Albon, this was, this was the ceiling, like 12 points, like put it in the hall of fame. This is probably the ceiling for Alex Albon is 12 points. Like maybe there may, okay, maybe there'll come a point this year where he's eight, his, he's 18th to start and something crazy happens and he finishes eighth and he gets the 10 point grid improvement, five points for beating his teammate, so on and so forth. And then he gets more points for finishing eighth instead of 10th. But realistically, this is his ceiling, which is 12 points. And at his price, 12 points is an incredible haul. Like you cannot hope for any better realistically with Alex Albon and then Stroll again, like, I played Stroll. I don't. I don't think he's a good driver, but I knew how much, pro how many problems Vettel was having this week. That I leaned Stroll over Vettel in the lineups that I was playing, and you see, you get that bonus with him also going up seven spots, and then Mercedes again, just so so reliable with both cars finishing. Although one of the things I know we were going to talk about, it they still didn't finish that far ahead of Ferrari. Yeah, even though only one Ferrari driver finished. Yeah. Um so to your your first point about um landing on this lineup with perez i i think uh so P i actually just brought it up um pimple pimple popper md played 20 lineups um so uh, obviously uh i mean i i could glance and try to figure out like how many he um you know how, how often he did each of these kind of iterations but if you even if you are only playing 
you know, if you're playing one lineup, it, it, it could be hard. It could be a tough pill to swallow to, to make a lineup where you don't have max or something like that. Um, that's just a, a function of how much risk you want to take. But if you if you just think through logically why you would be playing a uh, a different constructor when you have uh, uh, Leclerc and no Verstappen, like how do how does this lineup succeed, right? And if Max ends up not finishing ahead of Sergio, he probably had an incident. Um, if you're playing Mercedes instead of Ferrari or Red Bull, you need some kind of chaos. So not just Perez, having the second driver from one of the main teams in your lineups that don't have one of the big two as your constructor actually kind of makes sense, right? If you if Mercedes or McLaren is going to have a a week where they are the top constructor, you probably need Max or Charles to crash or, or not finish. Um, so the lineup actually kind of makes sense when, when you think through it that way. Um, the Albon thing, yeah, I, I went through the the lineups and even if he finishes 11th instead of 10th he would have dropped five points um there is nobody without albon within five points of first place so he still would have finished um in first but um i i, I do think that if you we don't have a lineup generator generator yet at Ren the sims but if you are just if you are playing 20 to 150 lineups um you should have these type of of, of builds in your um in your mix even if you are heavy on on max and charles so let's kind of get into what we were thinking about going into this race and we did every week i i think it's going to go without saying we want to be heavy on 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 max and, and and Charles every week um they're going to be the favorites they're going to have the fastest car one thing that the the two nuances this week that i i think were pretty obvious were you wanted more Charles and Max, because it was the first time we saw minus betting odds on a driver all year. Um, he was obviously so much faster on that final lap in qualifying. Uh, but we had two Red Bulls starting in the top three with signs starting all the way at ninth. So it made sense to be heavier on Leclerc, but heavier on Red Bull Constructor. Um, the two alternative lineups that we pushed really hard on the preview show were Mercedes and McLaren constructors. Um, they both qualified uh, in the top 10, both of their drivers. Uh, on Run the Sims, our projections for our two highest uh, constructors outside of Red Bull and Ferrari were Mercedes and McLaren. Um, and we wanted to continue to exploit these um, cheap teammate matchups. Yeah, I mean, I think... To me, I know you talked a lot about Latifi being a popular option, and I just I cannot wrap my head around the idea of I, I played him in a couple of lineups just as a contrarian option, but I just to me I cannot figure a scenario out where I'm gonna ever feel confident in making that play. And as long as Albon's within a few hundred dollars of him, I can't imagine the extra money that you save playing Latifi is is going to end up being something that you're ever going to be super excited about in any given week. Uh, stroll over over Vettel is one that's going to be a lot harder, I think, going forward. Just everything in this week seemed to indicate that Vettel wasn't quite there. Uh, I mean, he hadn't raced yet this year, hadn't had a chance to get on the track in the new car in a racing situation, and it, he struggled all week. So, you know, those were both still like the Albon versus – Latifi one is going to be one that I think is going to be a pretty simple play every week until they adjust the salaries there. Uh, I think the, I think Aston Martin, and the simple thing is you just play both Aston Martin drivers and lineups. It's not like you have to make a decision, but if you're trying to limit the number of lineups that you're playing, I don't think that it's going to be an easy decision where you're probably going to want to have to play one of those two guys, because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to fit in a lot of the other drivers that you want. I think other things like that, I'm kind of just thinking out loud about, uh, are we going to see a significant adjustment in the Haas price, particularly with Magnuson? Magnuson was kind of up in the midfield pricing. Um, it's it, something's not right with that car, but I mean, I think like a lot of the ideas we had, I mean, we were, we were big on Norris this week and Norris just kind of, I don't Norris just kind of had a, he had a great race by his standards from a DFS perspective. I don't really know what, 
the best option for playing Norris was that would have given you a lot of success. Uh, it, it certainly feels like maybe we undervalued Checo Perez a little bit, but you know, what are you going to do when there's just, I mean, I guess technically he's finished better than Verstappen twice in three races this year, but if they are both on track, he's just not going to beat Verstappen enough that you're going to want to play him over Verstappen particularly because if you're going to play, you know, unless you want to, unless they, they qualify one and three and for some reason you're going to stack them and then use Ferrari or Mercedes as your constructor, like maybe you play it that way, but I don't even know if that's going to be something that is ever going to be worth the investment with the the salaries. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of where I came down with all of it this week. Uh, I think, you know, we continue to churn out good ideas and things continue to kind of play out in unique ways. Obviously with Verstappen's car blowing up, that just completely changes the outlook in the game in this. And I guess my question for you is like, one of the things I was thinking about today is with like, does in a weird way, does Verstappen blowing up two out of three races make him more valuable in DFS because people are going to start maybe adding even more Leclerc to their, to their portfolio. Whereas maybe Red Bull between now and the time we get to Imola, or maybe we get to Spain, they'll figure some things out. And then suddenly there's going to be a couple of weeks there where people are leaning way more Leclerc than they are Verstappen. And then suddenly they get the, the issues with the reliability figured out and Verstappen's right back there winning races. Yeah, I, I think it's really going to come down. It's going to come down to two things, which um, is always our primary um, consideration in DFS. One, we have to see what they're going to do with prices. If they skyrocket Leclerc's price, um, that will that will really throw a big wrench in everything. If if salaries stay similar, um, it's it's just going to come down to projected ownership. I mean. Obviously, Sergio was on pole in Saudi Arabia, but we saw Verstappen come in at 19% captain. Anytime we're going to get Verstappen, if, if we start seeing Verstappen coming in at sub 40% overall ownership, um, sub 20% captain, yes, he, he is going to start being one of our big targets. And uh, kind of the thing that I wanted to point to going back to your discussion about um, Austin Martin and, um, and Williams we this is where the, our partnership with Ren the Sims is really going to be super valuable because uh, it, it it's going to come down to managing percentages and even if you are only playing one to three lineups instead of 150, what it's going to show us is who do we expect to be more popular and how can we leverage that? And if Austin Martin and Williams are consistently going to be at the bottom, but we're going to see these huge gaps in ownership, it's going to make it very easy to decide regardless if you like Latifi or not, or think he sucks. If they're four, if those four drivers are finished starting in the bottom five every week and their salaries are all going to be sub four K or sub five K, um, I'm just going to take the less popular one every single week. And this is, this ended up, um, being a uh, a big loss for me this week because we actually thought that the three thousand dollars versus thirty four hundred dollars salary for for Latifi and Albon was really going to swing things in Latifi's favor and especially with Albon getting the penalty and finishing twentieth. Like I wonder how many people didn't even realize that if that had anything to do with the percentages. Um, we were projecting Latifi to be more popular than. Albon by a decent amount. It ended up Albon was in 41% of lineups and Latifi was only in 20%, um, which was which was uh, very, very surprising. So we're, we're going to dig into that and figure out what happens there. But uh, if we went into the next race and we had the same projection, I would go heavy on Latifi again. I, I mean, I, I wanted to be heavy on Albon because I thought he was going to be less popular. I, unfortunately, that's just not how my lineups worked out. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to be looking at ownership percentages. To go way back just to one point, I did look at uh, get one more pimple popper MD in here. Out of his 20 lineups, he had 16 Red Bull constructors, one Ferrari constructor, and just three Mercedes constructors. So, I mean, you know, he, he nailed it. If, if you're with those percentages you're you're not going to land on the perfect every time but he left fifteen hundred dollars on the table um if you're going to leave max out put sergio in and 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 the rest kind of take care of itself yeah 
also on a side note, I just discovered Pipple Popper MD's Twitter feed, and okay. he also won a UFC pool on Saturday oh, night wow. as well. What so, a week! So uh, he's having okay. himself a week. Yeah, I think when it to the Williams thing, and it's what I I don't know how sharp the F one DFS pool is. Like, I don't know how many people who are like you, who it is their profession, it is their livelihood, who are going to be playing Formula One, because I'm assuming most of these people kind of got their start in the NFL, doing NFL, doing football DFS, and may not be as in tune to Formula One and other niche things. Like, I think we're seeing most, a lot of people, they will shift from NFL once it's over, over to golf and not Formula One. So perhaps it's not as sharp a player pool as we think it is. And thusly, they're going to think like I think, which I'm not, not saying is the right way to think about this thing. I'm saying like from a DFS perspective, it's not right. But just watching these races every week, it's there's a men- it's not a mental block. Like I like I said, I will play Latifi. Like I'm, I'm coming around to the what I'm learning from listening to you and, and how you approach this. But it's still hard for me to envision myself playing Latifi a lot. And I think you have to listen to smart people who are telling you why it is the prudent decision to do that. And I have done that without listening and having these conversations with you. I probably wouldn't ever play Latifi. And I'm guessing that's probably what this is. It's even though it makes sense to play Latifi from a numbers perspective, you just watch these races and you see a guy who's either finishing last or wrecking every week and frankly probably shouldn't even be on the grid and a lot of people aren't just not going to play. They're going to say, oh, well, Albon and, and, and carry it over. Like, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I forgot to look it up. Like, what Latifi's win percentage head-to-head with Russell was last year wasn't very high. And I think Russell's ceiling as a driver is a lot higher than Albon's. But Albon, like, Albon raced for Red Bull, and he wasn't he, he wasn't good enough to keep that seat. But he didn't race badly. He wasn't a bad driver. Like, he was good enough to drive in that car. So he's going to outpoint. He's going to beat Latifi most of the time. And I think people are going to see that. And that's why I think he's going to continue to have value at 3,400. Now, if they push him to like four grand, then suddenly, okay, now things get a little bit different. And you definitely, I think people are going to then really have to think twice because then if it's like, okay, well, I can do Leclerc and Verstappen and Latifi or, or like Leclerc, someone else and Albon. They're probably going to take Latifi at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there there is definitely going to be human error, and, and there is going to be, um, you know, name value or or name, um, I guess, misvalue. People hate are going to just hate certain players in in any sport and not want to play them. Um, and and yeah, when I think about it, probably crashing and qualifying is is going away on people's minds more than a well, what was what were they starting? Um, 18th first 20th like people probably aren't putting as much weight into the grid position in that scenario when there's a crash um even though i, I think they probably should but uh it, it's going yeah it, it's always just gonna come down to um to, to the salary and the ownership and it is a brand new sport like this is one of the reasons we are super excited about this is because we we hope that the field isn't too too sharp um if you know if the if the prize pools start getting big it's gonna it's gonna attract more sharks but i, I think for now there there are still some huge edges and you know we're seeing that the a, a cheaper driver starting ahead of his teammate is in half of the lineups like that's that's the that's an edge every single day in dfs um Let's talk about some of just the the technical things that we saw from a a lineup building perspective, uh, both what we wanted to do and and what ended up happening. happening. Uh, I I talked about with Justin, I I wanted to be lighter on captain and constructor builds than the first two races for a couple of reasons. One, because it, it is going to feed into our, our chaotic lineups like it, it was beneficial this week and two over the first two races we saw such a huge percentage of the lineups of cash and lineups that finished uh at the top stacky captain constructor so i i felt that the field was going to start uh overweighting how important that is uh the field still only stacked at 50 percent of the time uh i ended up having less than 50 percent of my lineups with captain and constructor and, and i feel pretty good about that still using driver constructor a lot i'm not saying don't stack i, I we still i still had driver constructor um at, at least a, a driver stack in 100% of my lineups we saw 99% of top 1% of lineups use at least one stack um we were 
it was very interesting. You noted this at the top, and, and now we're revisiting this point. Ferrari was still almost the top constructor without having two drivers podium, without having two drivers in the top five. and Without having two drivers uh, in the top ten. Ex- exactly. So what, what we... When we are building for for chaos, say you have ten chaos lineups, and you have you know Leclerc. Say you have ten chaos Leclerc lineups. Um, that doesn't mean you should just not stack Ferrari with him at all, because what can happen is what happened in Australia is that he led <clears throat> every single lap, so those points still almost outpace Mercedes having two in the top four. Uh, so just because a team doesn't have two drivers finish or two drivers finish in the points, that doesn't mean that the constructor can't win. Now, is there going to be any drivers besides Max or Leclerc that have a legit shot at leading every single lap? Probably not, but it makes it worth it to consider that you don't have to, um, you don't have to completely rule out the idea of, of stacking your driver with the constructor, even if you, um, even if you are building for chaos. Yeah, I think that's something that we, we're going to have to look. And I think Sam put together an, the notes, and we'll have to go back through and kind of take stock of it for each race, how common overtaking is at each individual track. Because I just did a quick Google search to see if I could find an, an exact number, and I couldn't find the exact number, but for, it says over 40% of Formula One races have been won by the pole sitter historically. So, you know, if we're at like Monaco, for example, I'll just use Monaco as the example because Monaco is the historically like well-known a place where you cannot pass anybody. It is a track that is beautiful. It is historic. It is also the least interesting race of the year because once they start, once whatever the order is, basically once they get off the opening start is where it's going to finish in that race. And if Leclerc is on the pole, then you probably need to lean Ferrari over Red Bull as constructor just because he's going to end up leading more laps. And if Verstappen ends up like even last, even, even in Saudi Arabia, Perez led 14 laps and then he just had got unlucky with pit strategy and all of that. But like he had a pretty clear lead and he, he, I don't think he would have ended up winning the race and it would have been a little bit more spread out amongst the drivers, but still the pole sitter is going to have a pretty big advantage when it comes to just the overall number of laps led in a race to the point where, and it makes sense for a variety of reasons. One, it's hard to overtake. And two, if you're on the pole, you probably have the fastest car or one of the two or three fastest cars and everything went right for you in qualifying. So that was kind of something that I hadn't even really considered. And I mean, like we said, 20, yeah, I don't know the total number of grand slams, but only 26 different drivers have ever done it. So, I mean, it's not something that is extremely common, but, it is a thing that is possible. And when you look at it right now, if Max Verstappen has reliability issues and like Checo Perez is a great driver, but his car is not as good as Leclerc's. So if, if Verstappen's going to have reliability problems, then if Leclerc's on the pole, you're probably going to have to consider like leaning. If you're just waiting your lineups with Ferrari and Red Bull as constructor, you're probably going to have to have more Ferrari than you are Red Bull. Even if other things happen and extenuating circumstances happen, like obviously Red Bull would end up finishing with more points than Ferrari if Verstappen doesn't, if his car doesn't die on him. But it's probably not the it's not the significant advantage that you would think that it would have been when one of the Ferrari drivers doesn't even he finishes negative points, like he finished dead last in the race, which means he would finish on negative five, right? And they still got thirty four points, like something crazy, like absolutely insane. So yeah, that was kind of something that I didn't even really think about. And then you kind of show the numbers there, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that absolutely makes sense now. And and I think just track by track, when we get to the ones in particular where overtaking is not super common, I think whoever the pole sitter is is just somebody that you're going to have to you're going to have to play them. You're going to have to stack them and their constructor probably is going to be the winning lineup that week just because things aren't going to go as crazy as you might think otherwise. Yeah. It's, it's exciting this to have, that's why it's really exciting to have this new DFS sport is there. We're still figuring out some of these nuances and scoring how, how do fantasy points play out based on these different quirks that happen uh, in, in every single race, how every race is a little bit different. And it's, it's where we're going to just keep finding these little edges and, and thinking through our lineups in a different way every week, because uh, we're, we're basically getting a, a crash course, no pun intended on how DFS plays out uh, in this new sport. So it's really exciting. I, I think the, I think the major takeaway from from this segment here and i 
think probably one of the most important lineup building decisions um, that you should be thinking through if you're new to DFS is we should be mixing up our constructor strategy in terms of if we're stacking them with our captain or not. I think you should have a, a variable um, uh, idea of how you're going to do it, whether it's, you know, 50-50, whether you're going really heavy on captain or constructor, just thinking in terms of how often you're doing it versus how often the field is doing it. Um, just that lineup building idea alone is really going to give you um, uh, at least a very clear guide on how and why you're building certain lineups and how they fit together. Again, stacking Leclerc with Mercedes makes sense that Sergio works because Max doesn't finish. Like logically, can you tell yourself a story that doesn't make, that makes sense? One thing that we still haven't seen, and I think is going to pop up soon, um, is I'm still sprinkling my lineups with double stacks. We the, the field's not doing it at all. Only fifteen uh, percent of the field um, used two or more stacks like three stacks is, is crazy but you can do it and that this graphic obviously if you want to look at it you could go on my twitter and zoom in it just breaks down basically how all these um, lineups are being built each week and I, I think it's a pretty cool resource um, but only less than three percent of lineups in the top one percent used a double stack i it, it's going to take a very specific finish to happen but i think if you have it in, if you are playing 150 lineups, if you use it in five to 10 lineups, I think it's going to give you a unique enough build for when it does land perfect, you can be the new um, Pimple Popper MD if that's what you strive to be. Uh, on that note, when you're talking double stacks, like what lineup, just hypothetically, like what lineup double stack could you see working out in your favor and actually being one where you have a lot of success with it? One, one that, I, it was pretty tough. It, it's going to be very salary based. Um, one that I squeezed in last week was I don't I don't remember what constructor was cheaper if it was Red Bull or Ferrari. But basically, it's a you need like a, a midfield team with a a top team stack or vice versa. So something like a a Verstappen Red Bull constructor stack and then like um, an Ocon Alonso stack. Uh, so basically, you you need them all to finish in the top four. I think for it to hit, uh, you, you need Max Sergio to finish one two, and then um, Alonso and and Albon. I'm sorry, Ocon to finish three four or at least like three five maybe. You know, and and that probably takes like a Leclerc to have an incident or something like that. But I I think if it eventually if and when it does play out exactly like that that's how it hits. It, it's going to be tough to do because you're going to be able to, you're going to need two two meets with top five upside that you can fit together with with a, a top constructor or top driver um but that's kind of how i'm thinking about it and then if if for some reason like you I, i'm always gonna have i don't know five percent of my lineups with a crazy winner because at some point we're going to see you know a a random team is going to win. Alpine um, is going to get a win. Uh, McLaren's going to get a win. It might only be one all year, but it, it's going to happen. You know, so you could flip that. You can have um, an Alonzo Alpine stack and, and then try to jam in Max and, and Sergio. Maybe I don't know if that, that, that would work salary wise, but that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking through those lineups. So I think this week, I think you could have given yourself a reasonable chance to pull that off with, driver with captain constructor ferrari red bull and then norris and ricardo yeah, i think yep yep i actually then, had i actually had a couple of those lineups in in my pool yep. like that's that's the scenario it's basically gonna have to happen where there's that kind of big gap between the two teammates i think in a given week i really feel like alpine and mclaren are probably going to be the only two teams where you're going to be able to stack the drivers and have a legitimate shot at that coming through for you. Because again, we talk about like the, the plus five for beating your teammate matters so much that, you know, that means your driver is going to have your secondary, the secondary driver on the team is going to have to finish in the top six or seven and still can never remember the points, but like they're going to have to finish in the top six or seven to mitigate the, the head to head five points that Lance Stroll is going to get for finishing 16th when Vettel finishes 17th. But then that does happen. And if he finishes and, you know, there, there's that possibility where if you're playing Ricardo and he ends up with in sixth place and, and Norris ends up on the podium, you might have a chance that week. If you end up with like Leclerc finishing first, Ferrari has a great week. 
and you end up with two guys who are in the top six or five. So, yeah, I mean, there will be possibilities. It's hard for me to imagine salary-wise it working out yeah, with any teams that aren't McLaren or Alpine. Yeah, and, and again, no, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm doing this in, in five to 10 out of 150 yeah. lineups. Um, you know, like like if you're doing it in 5% of your lineups, you're, you're uh, I, I think you're okay. Again, the field's doing it 15%. I think that's probably too much. Um, but if you're doing it in 10% of your lineups, I, I think you're giving yourself some outs. And we have this as the last note of the show, but since you brought it up, I'll just throw it out there really quickly. It, it does seem like that prioritizing those team winners over the top tens is is going to be more important we saw on average about uh about four and a half um plus fives in top one percent lineups versus four drivers in the top 10 obviously want drivers in the top 10 but the point is like jamming in a a mid-salary driver that that is starting eighth probably isn't as important as getting the the albon stroll combo correct um one other note on on uh, salary structure, um, where we we saw that this week, as we noted with the winning lineup, Pimple Popped and MD left fifteen hundred dollars on the table. We saw uh, a third of the top one percent lineups leave at least five hundred dollars on the table. We saw ten percent of them leave at least a thousand dollars on the ta- table. But again. We're chasing that that top lineup, right? And leaving fifteen hundred dollars on the table, leaving a thousand dollars on the table, um, is always going to be a really good way to separate. And I would venture as far as saying, if I was only building one lineup every week, that would be my the hard goal. I, I think I would, if I'm only building one lineup, I don't think I'm ever using all fifty thousand dollars in salary because it's you're pro if you're building a single lineup, you're probably always going to have Max or Leclerc in that lineup. So if you need to separate. Um, I, I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. Just and again, it's still all this. A lot of this stuff is new for me, and like the idea of leaving salary on the table is is intimidating. But we saw like this is these kinds of races are a lot more likely than just the everybody wrecks. And like you said, yes, Esteban Ocon, I think won a race last year. Like you'll see one or two a year where somebody unusual ends up winning a race because of weird circumstances, or I'm praying we get a rain race this year. The rain race (laughs) is going to make everything so chaotic and impossible that it's going to be fun to see what kind of iterations people come up with to win when that's always makes thing that always makes things super unpredictable. But yeah, I mean, this kind of chaos, as we like to say, like I would assume at this point when we're we're talking chaos for the audience, chaos is going to mean that, Red Bull and Ferrari, one of their drivers does not finish at least yeah. in like the top five and like outside the top 10. If, 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 if both those drivers finish, if one driver from each of those teams finishes outside the top 10, it's going to create a lot more variables to getting you a winning lineup. If Leclerc and Verstappen finish one, two, which like if it's anything like last year is going to happen most of the time with Hamilton and Verstappen, it is what it is. You're going to end up with a first place chop of 100 people or 50 people or whatever it is. But this kind of race is more common than the Ocon russell uh uh ricardo podium is going to be yeah and we still haven't seen the the big crash yet up front and and that's going to happen and and i'm wondering if now with with max not finishing two races i wonder if we're going to see old max now like if 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 he's just going to start being as aggressive as he was with lewis last year like i'm 35 points behind if I'm not finishing, you're not finishing, Leclerc. And I know they're they're buddy buddy right now, but um, Ma- Max will Max will get wild out there. And I, I wonder after two two races not finishing, if he's just gonna say, "Hey, if if I'm losing, I'm I'm losing Max's way." Um, and and if he starts doing that, uh, that's when like there there's going to be a point where Max and 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 Charles both don't finish, and that's going to be uh, when stuff gets really crazy. See, I tend to take a completely opposite view of it. And I'm glad you gave me that window to show this graphic that I stole from Reddit because um, this is the all-time biggest comebacks in Formula One history in terms of points. And this is, as you can see, adjusted to the way that the system is currently. Verstappen, 46 points behind. He would be, you know, he is 46 points behind. You can see there were some extenuating circumstances and a couple of these uh, in 1976, I believe, uh, was one of the years, I think that was the year Nikki Lauda crashed and missed a bunch of races and whatever. But like, I, I take a completely opposite perspective of it because like I kind of did some of the math and looked it through last year was the closest 
drivers race we've ever seen. And Verstappen had two DNFs, an 18th and a ninth, and then finished every other race in first or second place. Like his margin for error for winning the championship is essentially gone three races in because he can't, he can't, I mean, okay. 18th is basically a DNF, but like, he basically has wiggle room for one more DNF or uh, finish outside the points in 20 or 19 or 20 races. I think they're going to fill the Russia's seat somewhere, but like 20 more races. He's only got wiggle room for one really bad performance. If he wants to uh, really contend. Now that said, of course, Ferrari hasn't contended for a title in a few years. There's always a chance that that car is going to backslide. There's also the chance that Mercedes is going to figure some things out and maybe Hamilton starts winning some races and Russell gets faster. And suddenly we have six cars that can contend for the podium on a weekly basis. And maybe that, and you know, Leclerc, instead of finishing first or second every week, he's finishing fourth, fifth, or sixth. So things can happen, but the Verstappen's racing style is going to be super interesting going forward because I think his natural inclination is to be aggressive. Although we saw him kind of learn from his mistakes and win in Saudi. Uh, but yeah, I just don't know how, ultra aggressive he can be particularly because he's got concerns about the reliability of the car like he was even before the car blew up the tire he had issues with his tires early on in the race like there there are issues there like we've mentioned before they're on their own powertrain right now they are not using another company's engine they're building their own engine and we see like this week alfatari didn't have any problems but we've seen alfatari have problems with their engines their red bull team as well so i don't know that we're going to see that And, and and along those lines like i i tweeted this out the other day I wouldn't tie up money for six or seven months in a minus money future, but Leclerc is like one minus one fifty to win the championship right now on DraftKings, and like he should be minus two hundred or something like that right now, like probably. And I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't tie that money up now, but I still think it's mispriced. Like a lot's gonna ha- we're like it's so crazy. Last year, greatest season ever, greatest championship fight ever, came down to the last race, drama, controversy, all of that. And then here we are three races into the following season, and it he's got like one hand, and I'm not even being hyperbolic here. He legitimately does have like one hand on the world drivers championship three races in. Now, like I said, like a lot can happen and we're going to head to Emila. we're heading like to the mainland europe now and teams have been hesitant to make too many changes to their cars because as i'm sure you can imagine the logistical nightmare of shipping something from england where most of the teams are headquartered to australia is not the easiest thing in the world whereas shipping it from england to italy or spain is a lot easier so like that's the intrigue with the next race and Emila is going to be teams are going to start rolling out their improvements and their changes to their cars over the next couple of weeks. So, or the next couple of races, cause we're off this week. Thankfully I'm going to completely out of pocket this weekend. So I'm glad there's no race, but yeah, it's and, and that's kind of the intrigue that we're going to see in the question marks for the next couple of races. But yeah, I mean, in the big picture of, of how all of this stuff has kind of played out, I mean, Charles Leclerc has a stranglehold on the world drivers championship three races in like another thing. I, I guess I should look this up at some point is what is the fewest number of races a champion has ever won in a season? Because like George Russell, George Russell's best finish is third. Yeah. George Russell has a third, two third places. Yeah. He finished uh, third. Yeah. Third, third. In, in, no, in, hey, no fourth and fourth in the first week. And, and then, um, and then and, third and, this and, week. And then he yeah, was somewhere around yeah. that. Like, and he's in second place right now. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's how, and his car is just not as good as Leclerc's. Yeah. So like, I don't know what, why and sorry, I got way off on that. No, tangent, no, no. Like, I, what I, one of the things I found a great point. most interesting, you know, cause we do kind of dive into the betting aspect of it a little bit. I didn't end up betting anything. I do want to, I'm not going to name, name them by name because we are friends with them and they are a business partner. But there is a sports book, uh, a legal sports book that listed match specials, race specials, and then took them down before qualifying and then didn't repost them after qualifying. Oh, that's interesting. Which I don't, which thankfully saved me some money because one of the ones that they had was Leclerc Verstappen podium, Perez signs top six at like plus 180. And I was like, well, I feel like that's pretty realistic. And I was going to bet it after qualifying, particularly after signs finished ninth. And then they never posted it again. Um, so I will say, I don't necessarily love that business practice, but, um, we are seeing, you will see some of that stuff come up. I will say it was not DraftKings and DraftKings actually had a pretty, I I need to, I hope I'll remind myself to like screenshot them just so that we can kind of keep track of what you could have won money on. They had 
all kinds like their most robust race parlay section of the season were dozens dozens upon dozens of Burton Leclerc to finish first now a lot of them weren't great like most of them are not great options it's like Leclerc to finish first Hamilton to finish second it's like well I'm not gonna bet on that but like you know if you're playing a lot of DFS and you're seeing you know and I think that's where using run this the the, the run the sims uh, partnership can kind of help you also because it's like well if you should be playing this and it just kind of gives you percentages of how likely some things are to happen then maybe you can formulate you know a plan of because I love I'm a, I'm a sucker for any big number that I can get on a bet that I like to I like big swings it's hard for me to sit here and, and grind out a minus 110 winner at a time uh, that's why I love betting golf because uh, I can bet golfers at plus third at 30 to one and actually like have a legitimate chance to win. And there, there's stuff like that. And you can bet four to one and two to one. Like there are those kind of parlays out there too. But so shout out to them. And I'm hoping as this, the, the, they, the books get more data and have a better idea of what to expect. They're going to offer more fun kind of out there prop bets and parlays and whatever for these races. Again, they're not going to give you a lot where you're going to have great value on them, but some of them are going to be fun and, and uh, we'll try to highlight them and tweet them out as we see them and, and think that they're good. And hopefully as the, uh, as, as the season progresses, we'll see more of that. Yeah. And, and um, in addition to Justin's ownership model that we are going to be highlighting every single week in the previous show, uh, Sam Hoppin is also uh, working on a, a betting model. So uh, we, we are going to, when, when that's up and going, we will definitely be sharing that with subscribers. One thing that I want to know is if you are a 444 subscriber, uh, we have been in the 444 Discord chatting about F1. And, and since we are doing our preview show after qualifying, I would encourage... Uh, users to hop in there you could sign up for the discord in the youtube um uh description below before qualifying dan you're talking about bets that you want to throw in, in there before uh you're up in the discord uh giving those and and uh all of our guys will be in discord talking about things that we want to be betting leading up to the race and and i i think that probably outside of, of those matchup bets that are really exciting i i think that's where we're going to get our best numbers, right? If we're if we're looking at these drivers before qualifying, before practice, even uh, we saw we saw lines moving like crazy after a cup after first practice this week. We saw lines moving like crazy. So if if w would you say that if you're getting in there on Thursday is when you're going to get uh, maybe some of the best juice? It, it, it depends driver to driver. It, it, it's hard for me to advocate betting anyone other than like a price on Verstappen or Leclerc to win a race before we see how the cars perform in practice and in qualifying. Obviously, where they finish in qualifying matters more than just about anything else. But like it's an extreme example because I don't think I would have bet on him this week. But like Vettel had all kinds of problems all weekend long. Like there, the entire indication leading up to this race was that this was not going to be a good weekend for Sebastian Vettel. And it wasn't on the flip side, the first week of the season, we saw Kevin Magnuson, you know, back in the car for the first, like last minute replacement driver for the season for Haas. Didn't he had issues. He got one good qualifying lap in, but had issues with his engine uh, leading up to the race the days leading up to the race. And it was awesome in the race, like finished fifth. So some of that stuff's going to happen. Like, any, any kind of betting stuff that you can have, you want to have the best information. It's just like, you know, betting, betting an NBA game. If they put up a line at, you know, midnight for a 76ers Hawks regular season game and Joel Embiid is listed as questionable on the injury report, you probably should wait until the information comes out whether or not he's going to play. You just, as a better, you and the same thing as DFS, DFS, the same principle, like, when Yuki Tsunoda is having issues with his car, you're probably going to have to go and as quickly as you can adjust all of your lineups to take Yuki Tsunoda out of your lineups if possible. So you want the best information. Now you might, you know, and it's just kind of like parsing data. It's okay. So this guy finished third and qualifying, but maybe there was something happened where like Verstappen in Saudi Arabia, his car was faster than he, than it was in qualifying. He just, he had a couple of little hiccups in qualifying where he didn't end up running as fast as lap, but it was pretty clear he was going to, uh, he was going to have the pace, whereas in this race, like Leclerc's best lap was just that much better than everyone else's going into the race. And it just ended up bearing out that he was just by far the best car. Like it wasn't even close. So it's it's you, you want to have as much data as possible. And that's why, like, hopefully the books will do a better. We'll we'll 
will keep numbers up or not keep numbers up. We'll adjust them. But if they offer something before practice and qualifying, they'll offer it afterwards and just adjust the line to the point where they're not scamming you or because like it's taking now granted, like, you know, it's immoral to let a sucker keep their money. If someone's going to make a bet on something before they have the best possible information at their disposal, that's on them. And like, I can just tell you like, Hey, I saw this thing. I'm interested. I'm going to keep track and see if it's still there when we get to qualifying. It turns out it wasn't, but like I said, DraftKings, and I, I, I just usually stick to a couple of different, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Connecticut. We, we have legal betting, but we don't have every single book. Our options are a little bit more limited than in other States. Um, shout out, like just move to New Jersey, man. Like you can bet on anything in New Jersey. You can bet on the Oscars in New Jersey. You can bet on the Oscars anywhere else legally in the United States, but like they'll have options. So, you know, it, it's price shopping. It's, you know, you want to get the best of the number and those kinds of things. If you're really trying to win, or if you're just like me and you just want to, you know, have something to root for, throw a couple bucks here or there on a thing, like don't bet large sums of money on things that you don't have a lot of information on. But Otherwise, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's always just going to be a matter of making sure that you have the most information at your disposal and the best possible information at your disposal, which you're just going to have after qualifying. Like even practice, you know, like I wouldn't even bet anything after free practice one, except like I wouldn't bet a ton because the, the second practice session is going to be the one that's that they do at the time of the race. So like if you're looking to bet on, let me back up, if you're looking to bet on the race itself, I wouldn't bet anything from free practice one. Whereas if you look at free practice two, you kind of see, okay, well, that's when they're going to qualify. That's when they're going to run the race. Like that time is going to be a little bit more representative, maybe what you can expect, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's just so tricky to make bets when you don't have the best information. At your yeah. Disposal. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's super fair. And, and uh, when we do have all the information is after qualifying. And that is when we are doing the preview show, uh, you know, noon Pacific time, three Eastern time after qualifying. So at the end of that show, we are firing off for five or six favorite bets. So you guys, if you, if you are uh, tuning in, you will be getting those. And again, if you do hop in the discord, anything that changes between the end of that show and, uh, and the race, we'll be talking about that in the discord as well. Um, any, anything that you're looking forward to, uh, we got two weeks off before the Italian Grand Prix. Um, any, any big notes that you're going to be thinking about like what you're changing, what you hope changes, what you hope stays the same. I'm, I'm just really interested to see how the teams start to unveil their new setups, their new changes, what they're going to do to try to make some changes to what their cars have done so far. Like for a Ferrari, you're not going to have to make a ton of changes. They've got most things figured out. Like the car was porpoising a little bit more than we've seen this weekend, but it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter even a little bit, but the big thing is, can Mercedes, when they get to mainland Europe, they're not sandbagging, man. The car just hasn't been very good. It's been good enough. Like, it's been good enough for, like, eight other teams on the grid or for seven other teams on the grid. But for where their aspirations are, not even close. So can they find the changes that they need to? And are we going to see it at Emola? Are they going to wait another week after that? Like, is are we finally going to start to see some of the what we've learned? These teams have learned about their cars through three races really start to roll out some changes and is that how is that going to change the complexion of what seems to be a pretty ferrari red bull dominant uh setup as we move forward into the bulk of the season yeah i'm uh, from from just a a pure racing standpoint um i'm really excited to to see qualifying actually i, I want to see I, I feel like mercedes is um trending in the right direction I, I think at the very least they could start giving red bull fits i don't know if they're gonna be able to catch ferrari but i, I think that's going to make for um some really interesting decisions if they continue and, and if mclaren is for real if 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 they are really going to be um that fourth team instead of alpine that's going to make really exciting midfield racing um as far as DFS goes I, I I would implore anybody that is playing DFS to tweet at DraftKings and not yell at them but politely suggest that they raise these salaries because that is right now it's just if if a driver is priced between 7,000 and, and 9,500 it's just almost impossible to use them I mean obviously we did see the 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 Checo in that winning lineup but um it's just really hard to to be have a a lineup built around um 
Mercedes or or Alpine right now. And I, I think if you make it really hard to roster Leclerc and Max, which right now it's just it's really easy to do it. Uh, we're we're just not going to see these ownership percentages get spread out. Um, so hopefully, DraftKings tweaks that. Who knows? Um, I, I I haven't ran through the only data I haven't looked at uh, this week was the the duplicate data. I'm I'm going to do that as soon as we get off. But uh, I, I'm really interested to see salaries this week <clears throat> and to see how how um, Mercedes and and McLaren look at qualifying. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. Yeah, I mean the the salary thing is so huge because you either end up with you know we we'd like to see a little bit more variance this weekend and. and and we're not going to get the kind of race that we got this week at, that often. Like it's, it'll be more common than the one where we get a crazy podium, but the Verstappen, Leclerc one, two, in some order is going to be most weeks right now. It feels like, and even if you end up with Hamilton sneaking in some podiums regularly based on pace, it's still not going to be Is Hamilton is, is Hamilton Mercedes number one driver. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he is, but I'm you know, kidding, hey, to, 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 to Russell's credit, he's been extremely reliable. Like this is what they were hoping for when they signed him where Botas kind of, he would just end up adrift every now and then, but like where Botas, it's just like, well, he might finish second or third or he might finish ninth or 10th. And, and Russell's been putting in those performances consistently, but yeah, I mean, you're either going to end up with like that. This was the chaos scenario that you can expect. And we finally got a break from the pack for for once but it would be cool if there was a way for them to kind of manipulate the salary structure such that it's more about just being strategically you know strategically employing your your drivers instead of just like needing kind of a weird unlikely outcome for it to happen like that's hopefully what we're going to get to we'll see if it gets there i think i do think like the bottom of the, the grid is as important as the top like you have to make Leclerc more expensive and you also have to make Albon right now. You have to make Albon way more expensive than Latifi. Uh, I don't know if there's another team right now where there's like that big of there needs to be that big of a gap, but um, particularly with Haas kind of coming back a little bit or with Magnuson's car losing some of its speed. But yeah, I mean, hopefully they will continue to adjust and kind of see, because I think that's what we're kind of hoping for without just the possible outcomes aren't numerous in formula one. Even even if every race is crazy, there's only 20 drivers. It's not like this is the NFL, which has a player pool of like 500. I don't know how many players are. Yeah, I I, I would players. I would like to see the um the highest. I would like to see Leclerc price where it costs about 17. If it costs about 17.5 to captain him, and you you get the floors up to 4K, that's where I think we would we would really see some um, exciting stuff. But either way, don't no matter what DraftKings do, does, we are going to be here in two weeks to give you the preview for the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, going over all of this stuff that we talked about in the recap, we will be giving it to you in an actionable format for how we're going to apply it to the race in two. Saturdays. Of course, we are going to be doing that with the projections and the optimal uh, ownership rates from Run the Sims. If you haven't signed up for Run the Sims yet, go to runthesims.com and use promo code 444 to get 10% off both the USFL and the F1 deals with projections tools and content for both DFS and betting. Uh, you can also just click on the link in the description. The other link in the description is to get your subscription to 444. You can get a free 444 Pro subscription by depositing at least $10 on Underdog Fantasy using the promo code 444. You'll also get a bonus deposit match up to $100. You must be a new Underdog user. Again, that link is in the description and we have some great series coming out on the biggest tournament of the year the underdog best ball mania uh we have tools for that already on the site those are free so go to for for uh check that out be sure you're keeping an eye on my twitter for that uh article series that is set to launch uh sign up for the 444 betting plan still early bird rates there we launched bet spurts golf very successfully had a great master's week so make sure you're signed up for bet spurts golf keep an eye out for the bet spurts bundle which is coming soon which will get you access to all bet spurts properties for one low price please if you're listening uh give us a five-star rating and review on itunes or spotify if you are watching please like this video like our channel and subscribe and give us a, a good review on here and you can follow all of us on twitter 444 is at 444 football betsperts is at betsperts golf dan is at really dan weiner run the sims is at run the sims i'm at tj hernandez we will talk to you guys in two weeks